0: <laughs> and laughs Theater of the Mind The best love programs from radio's golden age Only on Zoomer Radio Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor
1: Well, thank you, and welcome to the show You know, at some point in every young Canadian boy's life There'd be a wish to be a member of the Northwest Mounted Police I mean, why not? That impressive uniform, those beautiful leather boots that went almost up to your knees, and of course, the hat. Couple that with the idea of the possibility to have a dog like Yukon King, who was the faithful and brave Husky owned by Sergeant Preston. This radio series, though, had its birth South of the Border, Challenge of the Yukon. Following the success of the Lone Ranger and the Green Hornet on Detroit's WXYZ, The station owner, George W. Trendle, asked for a similar adventure show with a dog as the hero. According to a staffer, Dick Osgood, in his history of the station, Trendle insisted it not be a dog like Lassie because this must be an action story. It had to be a working dog. Writer Tom Dougal, who had been influenced by the poems of Robert W. Service, naturally chose a husky. (laughs) Interestingly enough, the dog was originally called Mogo, But after criticism by Trendle, Dougal rechristened the canine King. Preston's sidekick and ally, and arguably the true star of the show, was the brave Alaskan husky. Yukon King had been a a keen instinct for sensing criminals and was equally valuable, dealing with wild animals, once saving a small child from a wolverine. And in the radio version, King's barks were usually provided by animal imitators usually sound effect artist Dewey Cole and later actor Ted Johnston. The radio series supplied King with a backstory. As a radio historian, Jim Harmon recalled King had been a husky puppy raised by a mother wolf. And when a lynx attacked the wolf and her cub, Sergeant Preston arrived just in time to save King. Preston then raised the animal as his own dog team captain. And now, Challenge of the Yukon with the episode... Turncoat Mountie. Now, as gunshots echo across the wind-swept,
2: snow-covered reaches of the wild Northwest, quaker puff wheat yeah. and quaker puff rice, the breakfast cereal shot from guns, yeah. Yeah. present the challenge of the Yukon. It's Yukon King, swiftest and strongest lead dog of the Northwest, blazing the trail for Sergeant Preston of the Northwest Mounted Police. In his relentless pursuit of lawbreakers. On King, run, you Gold, gold discovered in the Yukon. A stampede to the Klondike in the wild race for riches. Back to the days of the gold rush. With Quaker Puff wheat and Quaker Puff rice, bringing you the adventures of Sergeant Preston and his wonder dog, Yukon King, as they meet the Challenge of the Yukon. Here's the breakfast I really go for. He's enjoying his Quaker puffed wheat. Looks good, too. It is good. Right, and so is Quaker puffed rice. These king-size, ready-to-serve grains of wheat or rice are choice, flavor-rich premium grains. They're shot from guns actually exploded up to eight times normal size to make them crisp and tender. Shot through and through with swell nut-like flavor, too. And wheat or rice shot from Guns is good for you. Makes a nourishing, economical, deluxe family breakfast with milk or cream and fruit. Tomorrow, sure, try this breakfast treat. Quaker puffed rice or Quaker puffed wheat. Sergeant Preston had just made a long northern patrol. On his way back to Dawson City, he stopped off at a trading post run by Andy
3: McDermott. Hello, How are you, Hello there, Sergeant.
4: Hello, Andy. Everything all right here at the trading post? No,
5: Sergeant. Everything's not all right. Not by a long shot.
4: Huh? What's the matter?
5: Uh, come on in and get warm, and I'll tell you all about it. All right. You come in too, King. You know, there's always a place by the stove for you.
4: Andy, what's wrong?
5: As well, sir, it happened just the night before last, Sergeant. I was robbed. Sorry to hear that. Tell me what happened. Well, long about midnight, I heard someone pounding on the door. I got up out of bed and went to see who it was. Hold your horses! I'm coming. Yes. Yes,
2: I don't mind using this gun. I'm holding.
5: You better do what I tell you to. Yes.
2: Light the lamp. Yes, yes, of course. Don't shoot. That's better. Now show me where your safe is. What,
5: what are you aiming to do, Mister?
2: What do you think? Just show me this safe, and never mind the question. All right, all
5: right. You don't need to poke me in the ribs with that gun. It's right over here. Open it. Now you looky here, I Mister. said open it. I guess I can't argue with that gun. That's eh? right, you can't. So hurry up and open that safe. Yes,
2: she's. She's open. Good. I don't need you any more, McDermott. Eh? So.
5: <laughs> I couldn't have been out for more than a few minutes after he slugged me, because when I come to. He was still cleaning out the safe.
4: Did he see you wake up?
5: No, I didn't move or make any noise. I just lay there and watched with my eyes half open. The critter had taken off his mask. You got a look at his face? I sure did, Sergeant. And who do you suppose it was? I have no idea. It was Corporal Hayden of the Northwest Mounted Police. What? Andy, are you sure? You but I'm sure. I've seen his face lots of times. But
4: Hayden's one of the best men on the force, Andy. I just can't believe it. Hey. You sure it couldn't have been someone who looked like him?
5: It was Hayden, all right, no mistake. I could identify him even if he hadn't taken off his mask.
4: How so? Well,
5: have you ever noticed that tattoo on the back of Hayden's left hand?
4: Of course I have. A pair of cross pistols with the initials TH. Yes, that's right. That's exactly
5: what I saw on this man's hand.
4: That's pretty convincing evidence. But it doesn't seem possible that a man like Tom Hayden would turn crooked. Andy... Have you reported this robbery to anyone but me? Well,
5: there uh, wasn't no one I could report it to... except Hayden himself over in Snowshoe Pass. I couldn't leave the post long enough to go all the way to Dawson City. You'll leave it now for 24 hours? Uh, I guess so. Why?
4: I'd like to have you come with me to Snowshoe Pass... and repeat your story before Corporal Hayden. Will you do it?
5: You bet I will, Sergeant.
4: The following morning, Sergeant Preston and Andy McDermott... confronted Corporal
2: Hayden in the cabin... that served both as his office and living quarters... In the town of Snowshoe Pass.
4: It's a mighty serious charge Andy's bringing against you, Corporal. I realize that, Sergeant. And I
2: can understand just how Andy must feel, but I swear I wasn't the man who robbed the safe.
4: Can you offer any explanation of how a crook might resemble you so closely? None at all. You haven't a twin brother by any chance? Oh, I haven't got any brothers or sisters either, let alone a twin. Have any other robberies occurred recently? Well, that's an interesting point, Sergeant. What do you mean? As a
2: matter of fact, there's been a whole series of robberies in this district lately.
4: Any line on who committed them? Yeah.
2: Oh. Now, to tell the truth, they've got me completely stumped. Do you think there might be some connection between those jobs and the robbery at Andy's trading post? Possibility?
4: Did any of those jobs occur right here in town?
2: Yes. Mark Selmer's store was robbed about a month ago.
4: Andy. Yes? You willing to leave this case in my hands for the time being? Oh, of course I am, Sergeant. I know
5: you'll do the right thing.
4: Before we do anything about your accusation against Corporal Hayden... I'd like a chance to investigate these other robberies. I'm going to begin by having a talk with Mark Selmer.
2: Mark Selmer's Emporium was the biggest store in the town of Snowshoe Pass. Its stock consisted of everything from tin to beef, and miners' picks to mucklucks and
4: partners. On King.
6: Where have you two been keeping yourselves lately?
4: Been up north on patrol the last five weeks. Are
6: you going to stop off in town a while?
4: Just long enough to investigate the robberies that have
6: been happening around here. I'm glad to hear it, Sergeant. Maybe now we'll get some action. I understand your
4: place was robbed, Mark. That's right.
6: It's one of the first jobs that was pulled.
4: Were you in the store when it happened?
6: Well, not down here I wasn't. He Even when he broke into the place. And you
4: didn't get a look at him?
6: No, I didn't, Sergeant. But I've got a hunch who it was just the same. Let's hear your hunch, Mark. About three or four months ago, a stranger showed up in the neighborhood. He was a queer sort of cuss, kept to himself most of the time. He had a big, bushy, black beard. Folks used to call him the hermit.
4: Didn't he go by any name?
6: Well, if he had a name, he never let on what it was. And we set up housekeeping in an old deserted shack in the woods, over on the other side of the pass. Uh, Maybe you know the place I mean. Yes, I do. And we come into the store every couple of weeks to buy supplies, but he never had much to say for himself. About the only person he ever talked to was Corporal Hayden.
4: Oh, Wait a minute, I think I know the man you're talking about. About five, ten, or eleven, black beard, or an old brown parker with a patch place in front. That's him, all right. I saw him one day going toward Corporal Hayden's cabin just as I was leaving. He sounds rather harmless. What makes you think he has anything to do with the case? Well, about four or five weeks ago, he disappeared. It was right after that that all these
6: robberies started happening. Oh. Huh?
4: That's interesting, but it may just be a coincidence.
6: Now, if you ask me, it's more than a coincidence. I think he just holed up in that shack long enough to get the lay of the land. And then once he'd sized up all the likely-looking places, he started out
4: to rob every one of them. Did you pass along your suspicions to Corporal Hayden? I certainly did, Sergeant, but nothing ever came of it. Well, Mark, it's a pretty slim lead, but it's worth looking into. I can promise you the matter will be thoroughly investigated. Sergeant Preston returned
2: to Corporal Hayden's cabin, determined to find out more about the mysterious bearded man. But the corporal belittled Mark Selmer's suggestion. So Mark is still harping on that bearded hermit
4: theory? I hmm? take it you don't think much of the idea.
2: Well, frankly, I don't. Just because a man keeps to himself is no sign he's a crook.
4: Well, that's true, but it is rather odd that he should disappear just before these robberies no, began.
2: The hermit was a drifter, Sergeant. Probably just got the urge to move on.
4: Did you make any attempt to investigate his disappearance?
2: Well, I looked over the shack he stayed in.
4: Anything to indicate where he went?
2: No, not a thing, Sergeant. Just a few empty cans and trash of that sort.
3: Hmm.
4: Well, Corporal, the hermit may have nothing to do with this case, as you say, but I think I'll have a look at that shack myself.
2: Snowshoe Pass, from which the town had taken its name, was a deep cleft in the rugged mountain range at whose foot the town nestled. The trail through the pass consisted of a narrow ledge which wound round one side of the gorge. It was along this trail that the sergeant headed his team a short time later as he set out to investigate the hermit's shack. King was acting as loose lead, breaking trail for the team, while Sergeant Preston followed behind the sled on snowshoes. About halfway through the pass, one of the sergeant's snowshoes came loose. As he paused to adjust the strap, he shouted to King.
4: Come on, King.
2: King and the other dogs went on with a sled far ahead of Sergeant Preston, who paused to fasten a loose strap. The Mountie didn't notice a huge bank of snow which came sliding down the slope toward him. King, who was now some distance ahead of the sergeant, sensed what was happening. He turned and barked a frantic warning to his master. Hearing the bark, Sergeant Preston looked up and saw the avalanche. But it was too late. The onrushing mass of snow plunged down on the sergeant and swept him over the side into the gorge below. Oh. Now to continue our story. On his way through Snowshoe Pass, Sergeant Preston was swept off the trail by a sudden snowslide. Luckily, as the Mountie plunged downward, he caught hold of a small projecting shelf of rock about 50 feet below the trail. He struggled up onto the shelf and then shouted up to King. King go like the, Corporal the great dog sprang to obey his master's command. Pushing past the excited team, King retraced his steps through the pass. A short time later, he arrived at Corporal Hayden's cabin. The great dog barked several times, but sensed that no one was inside. Finally, he pushed open the door and went in. The cabin was empty. As King stood for a moment, uncertain of his next move, he heard a dog team pull up outside. Even before he saw the driver, King knew that it was Corporal Hayden. The great dog rushed to the door, barking joyfully... Soon, help would be on its way to his master. But King had not counted on Corporal Hayden's strange reaction. At sight of the husky, Hayden's face twisted into an evil grin. So, Preston sent you for help, did he? <laughs> well, isn't that just dandy? Puzzled by the corporal's attitude, King backed stiff-legged into the cabin, the hairs bristling along his back. Hayden followed, shutting the door behind him. A pile of wood stood by the stove. Suddenly, the corporal snatched up a heavy piece of wood and came at King. The head'll take care of you. Trained since puppyhood as a dog of the Northwest Mounted Police, King hesitated instinctively to attack the Mountie who now menaced him. The delay proved fatal. As the great dog backed away growling, the corporal sprang forward suddenly and brought the club crashing down on King's head. This'll fix you. (coughs) More than half an hour went by before King opened his eyes. His head hurt, and he felt something tight and constricting around his neck. Suddenly, he remembered that his master was in peril. The great dog sprang up, only to feel a noose pull tight around his neck. Rearing up on his hind legs, King saw that the other end of the rope was tied to a rafter high overhead. The discovery drove him frantic. Again and again, the husky whirled and leaped, each time seeking to snap the rope with his fangs. But it was no use. The great dog was growing desperate, and then he noticed a chair standing nearby. Straining forward as far as the rope would allow, King seized the rung of the chair in his powerful jaws. He tugged the chair slowly toward him until it stood under the rafter to which the rope was tied. Springing up on the chair, King found that the rope now hung partially slack. He gnawed at the rope frantically, and soon the last strand parted. The great dog was free. A short time later, two sourdoughs named Joe Lucas and Bill Jordan heard a noise outside the door of their cabin. Hey, Bill,
6: you hear that? Yeah, Joe, I do. Sounds like that dog is right outside the door.
7: I'll go see. Well, I'll be horn squabble He sure wanted in all right. Hey. hey, he's got some rope tied around his neck. Yeah. Hey, take a look at that blood on his head. Looks like someone lighted him a good whack. You know, that there's something familiar about that dog. Doggone, or is it that? He sure is a handsome critic. I've got it. Why, well, that's King, Sergeant Preston's dog. Oh, you're right. He heard you say his name. What you talking about my clothes for? Looks like he wants you to go somewhere with him. That's funny. Do you suppose his master could be in trouble? Could be. He's a plenty smart dog. Well, maybe i better follow him just in case. I'll go get my parka. Uh, you want me to go along, too? No, you stay here. I'm going to hitch up the sled in case anyone's been hurt. Two of us have just slowed things down. Come on, King.
2: Let's go. King led the sourdough out of town and along the trail through Snowshoe Pass to the point where Sergeant Preston had gone over the edge. Hold, hold,
7: hold. He must be Preston's. He must have had some kind of an accident. I'm down
4: here. Look over the side.
7: mackerel, it's a sergeant. What happened, sergeant?
4: I got caught in a snow slide. cut me off the trail but I managed to grab hold of this ledge.
7: I didn't bring any rope. Have you got any? I think
4: there's enough on my sled to reach down here. If not, you'll have to unharness the dogs and use the traces.
2: In a few moments, Joe Lucas was letting down a line to the stranded mounting.
7: Can you reach it? Just barely. You let it down any
2: farther?
7: Well, not much farther, sergeant. I got to keep a good hold on it.
4: One hand. What's the rope secured to up there?
7: I got it tied to a pine a little ways up the slope. You all set? I'm ready.
4: Hall away. Uh, uh,
2: Bracing his feet against a rocky outcropping on the trail, uh, Joe hauled away steadily on the line. Uh, a few moments later, Sergeant Preston rose up within sight of the trail when suddenly Hey! Hey, someone shooting at us. At me, you mean? Don't let go, Joe. Uh, I won't.
4: Watch down. He can't hit you as long as that boulder's in the way. Uh, what about you? I'm not much of a target. You should have waited till my head was a little higher.
7: Whoa, that was close. Hey, Sergeant, what are you doing? You can't hang on long with one hand.
4: I'm going to try a shot. I think I hit him. All right, all the way fast. Here.
2: A moment later, Sergeant Preston struggled up over the edge of the precipice and dropped flat on the trail. Duncan, keep down, fella. He ain't firing no more. Maybe you killed the critter. I don't think so. I just winged him. The two men lay quietly for several minutes.
4: Finally, Sergeant Preston got to his feet cautiously. Where do you reckon he's up to now? I think he's gone, Joe. He probably lost interest in the proceedings when he stopped that bullet. Where was he firing from? Up the mountains. Behind that screen of planes there. Is there another trail up there? By golly, there is. I'd forgotten all about it.
7: You see, no one ever uses
4: that trail because it's worse than this one. Apparently someone uses it. It wasn't any eagle that was shooting at us. Don't worry, fella. I haven't forgotten you. Joe, what
7: happened to King's head? Search me, Sergeant. My guess is someone clouded him good and hard.
4: How did you and King meet? He
7: came to our cabin and whined at the door. His head was all bloody. My partner washed it off while I was getting ready to follow him here. There was a piece of rope around his neck, too,
4: but Bill cut it off. That's odd. I sent King to... Joe, I know who that was who fired those shots. Who was it, Sergeant? Corporal Hayden of the Northwest Mounted Police. Corporal Hayden? A sergeant, are That's you... That's the only possible answer. I sent King to Hayden's cabin for help. Hayden must have clubbed King and then tied him up. You mean he did all that and then hightailed it out here to put a bullet in you? I rather think he was hoping I'd die down there on that ledge. That way it would all look like an accident. Well, it was an accident, wasn't it? You
7: said you got swept over by a snowslide.
4: Beginning to think that snowslide didn't just happen...
7: You mean Hayden started the slide?
4: It's been easy enough for a man up on that high trail there.
7: Yeah, it would it there. What
4: are you going to do now, Sergeant? I'm going after Corporal Hayden.
7: He's probably halfway back to town by now.
4: I don't think so, Joe. Well, then I where? think I'll find him at the Hermit's Shack on the other side of the pass.
7: What in tarnation would he be doing there?
4: I knew I was headed for the shack when I left his cabin. That's why he caused the snow slide, to keep me from getting there. Now, that don't make sense, Sergeant. If you oh. left Higgins at his cabin, he wouldn't have
7: had time to get up there and cause that snowslide. To do that, he'd need a head start. He got that head start by sending me to see Doc Barry before I started through the pass. That's savvy. But why should he be so anxious to keep you from visiting that shack? There's
4: probably evidence of some kind there that'll link him to these robberies. Well, Joe, I don't think I'd better waste any more time talking here. Before I go, I want to thank uh, you for. Slow
7: down, Sergeant. We aren't parting company just yet. I'm going along and see the fun.
4: Search yourself, Joe, but I warn you the fun may be dangerous. Half an hour
2: later, Sergeant Preston and Joe Lucas halted their teams a short distance from the hermit shack. Hold on.
7: Oh, yeah. oh, yeah. oh, no. The shack's not much farther on, Sergeant.
4: What's our next move going to be? We'll leave our sleds here and go the rest of the way on
2: foot. As the two men approached the shack, King whined softly, What's the matter with the King?
4: Probably picked up Hayden's scent.
2: Maybe we better keep behind those
4: trees and
7: bushes up ahead.
4: No one can see us from this angle. Shack has no window on this side. Hey, King's right.
7: Someone is in that shack.
4: Yes, Joe. Line of prints leading up to the door and none going away.
7: He probably parked his sled somewhere out of sight, just like we did. What are you going to do, Sergeant?
4: I'm going to move in closer around the corner of the shack so I can get a look in the window.
7: You better be mighty
2: careful.
4: Don't worry, I've got my gun ready and I'll have King with me.
2: (laughs) Closing in cautiously, Sergeant Preston peered through the window. Then he returned to Joe Lucas. Is he in Sergeant?
4: Hayden's nowhere in sight. But there's a bearded man lying on the floor, tied and gagged. A
2: bearded man? That must be the hermit.
4: That's who it looks like.
7: There's something mighty fishy about all this. That critter didn't tie himself up, did he?
4: I don't see how he could have.
7: And who made those tracks up to the door?
4: There's only one way to find out, Joe. And that is go in and see.
2: With Sergeant Preston in the lead, the two men approached the shack. As the sergeant opened the door, King gave a low growl. Hey,
4: that is the hermit, Sergeant. Keep your gun handy, Joe. Going over and untie him. The bearded man jerked his head frantically as Sergeant Preston bent to untie him.
2: Looks like he's trying to tell you something, Sergeant. Good. Both Joe Lucas and Sergeant Preston were watching the man on the floor. Oh, easy now. I'll have you free in a minute. Only King saw the trapdoor suddenly lift in the far corner of the room. But his warning came too late. Drop that gun, Lucas. Hey, what? I said drop that gun. What?
7: Yeah, I'll drop it.
2: All right. Now you can both turn around it's Hayden. Sounds as though you might have been expecting
7: me. The sergeant guessed you'd be here. We just didn't know you'd be hiding under that trap door.
4: Apparently. That's what the man on the floor was trying to tell us.
2: Too bad you didn't catch on, sergeant.
4: Why so? Cause
2: as soon as I climb up out of here, I'm going to kill the boat here.
4: I wouldn't be too sure of that if I were you, Hayden.
2: Uh, <laughs> You're a mighty cool customer, Preston. Not gonna do you a bit of good. Hey, that dog! Oh, my arm! Man alive, that was fast shooting, Sergeant. I
4: had to shoot fast. He'd have killed King. Get your gun to one side, Hayden. Well, I should have shot that confounded
2: dog back at the
7: camp. <laughs> you sure looked surprised when you saw him coming at you, Corporal.
4: He's no corporal, Joe. Well, what do you mean? Unless I'm mistaken, the real Corporal Hayden's lying there on the floor. What? Pick up your gun and keep that crook covered while I untie this man. We'll let him tell the story. A short time later, the mysterious bearded man was able to speak.
2: You're right, Sergeant.
4: I am Corporal Hayden. I imagine Joe will be able to recognize you as soon as you've shaved off that beard. But if the hermit is the corporal,
7: then who in
8: thunder is this crook I'm holding the gun on?
4: I imagine we'll find that he's Corporal Hayden's twin brother.
8: You've guessed it, Sergeant. Up till a month ago, he was wearing a beard. Mine grew while he was holding me prisoner here.
4: You'd better start at the beginning, Corporal.
8: My brother is a fugitive from justice down in the States. He showed up here a few months ago, asked me to help him. No one recognized him as my twin because of his beard.
4: And you didn't turn him in? I'm ashamed to say I didn't. How did he manage to change places with you?
8: I, I came out here one day to tell him he'd have to clear out of the territory. When I got here, he pulled a gun on me, forced me to change clothes with him. Then he locked me down in the cellar. He's been keeping me there ever since.
4: Are you aware that he's been pulling a series of robberies?
8: Yes, I am. You'll find all of the loot down in the cellar.
4: I'm curious about that tattoo on his left hand, just
8: like yours. In fact, that's what originally misled me. You see, Sergeant, my brother and I served a hitch in the Royal Navy before I joined the Mounted Police. We both got tattooed the same way. My name's Tom Hayden, and his is Tim Hayden. So we both had the same initials put on. T.H. Well, I'll be hornswoggled. No wonder he was able to
7: fool everybody.
4: It was a mighty puzzling business, all right. and Mighty dangerous, too, wasn't it, King? <coughs> <coughs> Luckily, you were around when I needed you, fella. Now line up the dogs and let's get home to headquarters. This case is closed. <laughs> In just a
2: moment, Sergeant Preston will give you a preview of Wednesday's adventure.
6: Extra, extra, try this extra special breakfast treat of the week.
2: Yes, serve ready-to-serve Quaker puff wheat and Quaker puffed rice together in a cereal dish. Separate the two with fresh fruit and add milk or cream. It's different. It hits the spot. Remember, the original crisp, fresh wheat or rice shot from guns is never sold in bags or bulk. It comes only in the famous big red and blue packages with the smiling Quaker Man on the front. Always look for him. He's your guarantee that you're getting the one and only Quaker Puff Rice and Quaker Puff Wheat. Listen Wednesday when Sergeant Preston and Yukon King meet the challenge of the Yukon in the case of the frightened child.
4: When King and I found a little girl crying in the woods outside of Dawson, We thought it was simply a matter of returning a lost child to her parents. We didn't realize that in order to do that, we'd have to fight it out with three of the worst crooks in the Yukon.
2: Be sure to hear this exciting
4: adventure
2: Wednesday. These radio dramas, a feature of the challenge of the Yukon Incorporated, are created and produced by George W. Trendle, directed by Fred Flowerday, and supervised by Charles D. Livingston. The part of Sergeant Preston is played by Paul Sutton, They are brought to you every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the same time... ...by Quaker Puff Wheat and Quaker Puff Rice. The breakfast cereal shot from gun. Attention, dog owners. Here's a real bargain. The famous kennel bar dog feeding bowl... Now, only one dollar plus four kennel ration labels. Compares with bowls worth up to three dollars and fifty cents. It's 15 inches long, made of heavy gauge plastic. It won't tip over, and it's easy to clean. Serves water and food separately. Get yours today. Your dealer has the mailing coupon. Or send your dollar and four kennel ration labels to Kennel Ration Chicago 77.
1: Stay tuned for Life with Luigi, next on Theatre of the Mind. Time now to check in with that little immigrant from Italy, Luigi Basco, and the story of his attendance at a PTA meeting.
9: Chicago, we invite you to enjoy life, Life with Luigi, a new comedy show created by Cy Howard and starring J. Carol Nash. when Luigi Vasco left Italy to start his new life in America, he promised his mother that he would write her and tell her about his adventures. So now we look over Luigi's shoulder as he writes another letter to Mama Vasco in Italy.
10: Dear Mamma Mia, how you like the news from England. Princess Elizabeth, she have a little boy. So now England, she's a really a mother country.
3: <laughs>
10: In the last letter, you say you're surprised My English writing is so good i can explain to you why First thing, when I come to Chicago, I go to night school at uh, night
3: <laughs>
10: I wish you, Mamma Mia, you could see my teacher, Miss Spaulding She's got beautiful eyes like a Mediterranean Her hair is gold like a sun over Alps And uh, her shape... Mamma mia! If Italy is in a such a good shape, they don't need a Marshall Plan.
3: <laughs> so you
10: see, Mamma mia, I'm studying very hard because I don't want to be like our countryman Pasquale, who bring me here. He is here 26 years, and all he knows is two words: money and Rosa.
3: <laughs>
10: is it too bad that she is not worth her weight in gold? She's so fat, the Mamma Mia, that if fellow marries her, he is a commit to bigamy.
3: <laughs>
10: but this morning, I'm not thinking about Pasquale Rosa. I'm talking to my 12-year-old general manager, Jimmy O'Connor, who is like my son. And I'm helping him with his lessons before he goes to school. I say to him, what are you doing, Jimmy?
11: An algebra problem. It's pretty tough, too.
10: Stop looking for the answer in the back of the book. He's not honest. Read me the question, and I give you the answer. But is it honest if you
11: figure out the answer for me?
10: No not worry, I won't.
3: <laughs>
10: but I try. Is all common sense? Now, read me a question.
11: Okay. If Tom can dig a ditch in two hours, and Harry can dig the same ditch in one hour, how long would it take Tom and Harry if they dig together?
3: Oh.
10: What answer it gives in the back of the book.
3: <laughs> and you
10: told me not to look. That's right. We use the common sense. If Harry digs a hole in two hours. Uh, no, Tom digs the hole in two hours. the same thing. Later they're going to dig the hole together, so it makes no difference.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well,
10: never mind, boss. I'll figure it out in school. Never put off it, Jimmy, is a bad habit. We figure out that by common sense. Tom digs a hole in two hours. Harry digs the same hole in one hour.
11: Right. How long would it take Tom and Harry if they dig together?
3: <laughs>
10: That's a funny thing. What's funny? Just two weeks ago was election. Harry stands still and Tom digs his own
3: hole.
10: <laughs> I'm sorry, Jimmy. Maybe it's a little hard to figure out by common sense.
11: Oh, that's okay, Mr. Luigi. You help me with my American history.
10: It's my favorite subject. Jimmy, you're a lucky boy you're born here.
11: Boss, do you really wish you were born in America? Yes.
10: And next time I'm born, I know better. <laughs> Jimmy is getting late. You better go in the back, have a glass of milk, and go to school. Okay. Well, I think I dust off my antiques. No, better I put dust on antiques. Make some look older. <laughs>
12: Hello, Mr. Luigi Good
10: morning, my teacher, Miss Spaulding It's a big pleasure to see you
12: I was on my way to school, so I thought I'd drop in for a minute
10: It's a wonderful idea Look how whole place light up because you're here Please, sit down on this Teddy Roosevelt rocking chair Why do you call it a Teddy Roosevelt
12: rocking chair? It has no arms and it's rather hard Teddy
10: Roosevelt was a rough rider
12: <laughs> Well, I'll take this chair, it seems more comfortable Fine,
10: it's also a good chair American mahogany, Duncan Five style.
12: Good. Then I can be patriotic and comfortable at the same time.
10: Is uh, it all right if I sit next to you? Well, certainly it's all right. Thank you. Ah. How's the business, Miss Balding?
12: <laughs> well, teaching school can hardly be called a business.
10: But it must be a wonderful thing to be teacher. Everybody, they love you. They respect you. I bet to you all the kids in your class, they're crazy about you.
12: Yes, but they have a quaint way of showing it. What do you mean? Well, Mr. Basco, did you ever spend a day dodging spitballs? Or did you ever shake hands with a piece of bubble gum? Or were you ever hit by a jet-propelled eraser?
10: Miss Spaulding, your life! She's in danger.
12: (laughs) Well, it's not as serious as that, Mr. Basco.
10: Well, if the kids do bad things, you tell me, Miss Spaulding. I teach them respect. Oh, no, Mr. Luigi. We don't use force. Then how you punish them?
12: Well, occasionally we keep them after school.
10: Miss Spaulding, do me a favor. Please punish me, huh? <laughs> 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 <laughs>
12: now,
3: that's the better. Don't be sad no more.
10: All you need, Miss Spaulding, is the same thing everybody needs. Somebody who's saying nice things. Especially if somebody is a nicer fellow. Uh, if I'm a ten years younger Miss Spalding, and if I have a big store like Marshall and Fields Then I buy you the whole store and the school And I give you for Christmas a present Then I go there every day And I hold your hand like this And I say Good morning, my beautiful teacher, Miss Spalding Mr. Luigi,
12: I could kiss you for that
3: What? I finished my milk Jimmy, go back and
12: drink two more quarts
11: you
3: are here,
12: Miss Spaulding. Yes, yes, sir. So I am. I, I I just dropped in. In fact, I'm leaving. Uh, that's right. We'll walk to school together, Mr. Luigi. I mean, Jimmy.
10: <laughs> sure. Goodbye, my teacher, Miss Spaulding. Goodbye,
12: Mr. Luigi. Will I see you this afternoon?
10: You'll see me any time you like, Miss Spaulding.
12: I mean at the PTA meeting.
10: PTA? Are you on a relief for Miss Spaulding?
11: <laughs>
12: no, PTA means Parent-Teachers' Association. Didn't you give Mr. Luigi one of those notices, Jimmy?
11: Uh, I forgot.
10: Why you forget such a thing as Jimmy? Should I go, Miss Spaulding?
11: But boss, it's...
10: It's mostly mothers. So what? I'm like a mother to you, Jimmy. Miss Spaulding, is it true that is all the mothers at the PTA?
12: Well, the odds are that you'll be the only man among 30 or 40 ladies. That's on wonderful art.
10: <laughs> well, I, I, I dust my statues. See you this afternoon at the meeting. Jimmy, why didn't you tell Mr.
12: Luigi about the PTA meeting? I just told you. I forgot. You're not
11: ashamed of him, are you, Jimmy? No, of course not. It's only that... That what? Oh, nothing, Miss Falling. You better tell me, Jimmy. Well, it's just that you don't know Mr. Luigi like I do. What do you mean? If there's more than two people around, he thinks it's his duty to make a speech. That isn't true, Jimmy. Oh, yes, it is. At the July 4th ball game between our scout teams, he made us stop the game so he could read the preamble to the Constitution. And this was with three men on base.
3: <laughs>
11: I think that's very commendable. And you should hear those speeches he makes to the statues. Yesterday, I heard him talk to the statue of Patrick Henry all about liberty and death. At the end of an hour, I swear I heard Patrick Henry say, give me death. <laughs> Well, I'm sure no such thing will happen this afternoon. Don't be too sure, Miss Balling. He's so good-natured and he's so happy to be invited someplace that he'll wind up serving the food, making a speech, taking tickets at the door, and finding out if the people are related to the signers of the Declaration of Independence.
12: (laughs) I just don't believe it, Jimmy. Mr. Luigi just wants to participate in civic activities. He wants to feel that he belongs. The PTA meeting this afternoon will help round him out.
11: Sure. And flatten out everyone else.
7: Luigi, my friend Hello, Luigi Hello, hello
3: (laughs) Hello,
10: Pasquale I come over to ask you a little favor Sure, everybody who comes to my spaghetti palace They call it a favorite place What do you want? I have to go to Jimmy's school this afternoon What's the matter? The kid in the trouble? No I must make a speech. Then the whole school's
9: in trouble.
3: <laughs>
10: what the you want to make a speech? You don't understand, Pasquale. Is parent-teacher's association. What's about it? You crazy? In the first place, you're no parent, and in the second place, you're no teacher. Then I must be association. Yes, <laughs> You go too many places, uh, Luigi. Always a running like a little mouse. <laughs> Stay home. Mind your own business. Is uh, my business what happened in school? Who asked you to make the speech? Jimmy? No. Mr. Spaldi. No. isn't uh, my own idea. <laughs> You're going to make a speech? <laughs> <laughs> well, what's this so funny? Listen, uh, Luigi. Right now, everything she's a fine between the United States and Italy.
6: You make a speech, and the whole of war starts up again. <laughs>
10: Please, keep your mouth shut. It is a free speech in the United States, or so I speak? In the second place, Luigi, this meeting is for ladies, not for men. Or what before you go? Maybe I meet the nice American lady. It's only mothers that go, not the single ladies. So is maybe nice widow lady. Widow lady? What's the matter with my daughter Rosa? She's not a
3: widow. <laughs>
10: you marry her now, we see what happens to later Pasquale, I'm not to come to talk about Rosa
7: Luigi,
2: my
10: friend, why you don't want to marry my Rosa? Just because she's a little bit chubby A little bit? <laughs> Mama Mia, if I marry Rosa is not a marriage, is a project
3: <laughs>
10: But uh, no more talk about Rosa All right, all right, we don't talk about Rosa Thank you, Pasquale Luigi, uh, is it not apparent the pictures a meeting for children's mothers? Maybe. But Jimmy, he was born 12 years ago. He has no mother. Rosa can it be his mother. She's a 12 years too late.
3: <laughs> then what do you want from
10: me? When I go to meeting, please take care of my store. All right, all right. I a Rosa. Oh, no. Is it like a bull in China shop? Never mind. I close a place. I put out sign to help for yourself. Goodbye, Pasqua. Hey, 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 hey. Wait, wait for Luigi. You're gonna go to a PTA meeting like this? What's wrong? What's wrong? Look at the way you look. Look at your suit. You're the only fella in
7: Chicago who's wearing a greener jacket with a six buttons in the front and a belt to the back.
10: <laughs> and look at your pants. Where's the crease? Only bumps.
3: <laughs>
10: That's uh, from uh, keeping a pants under a mattress. I don't have other suits. Then stay home. Why, well, you must always go places. Maybe you're right, Pasquale. Maybe I should have buy a new suit. But I do got get the money. Pasquale? No, I only lend money to son-in-law.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
10: That's the trouble. Whenever you lend the money, it's got a strings attached. Ross's apron strings.
7: All right, go ahead, go to meet and
10: let the fine American ladies laugh at Luigi Bosco. Sure, even a gym is a shame to you. Is it not true? Jim is an always shame. Then why Miss Spalding invite you, not the gym? Jimmy, forget, that's why. Sure, sure. Well, don't bother me. I'm going to you no know, money. Only suit I buy you is a wedding suit.
3: <laughs>
10: what do you say, my son? Goodbye, Papa. <laughs> Excuse me, is this place you sell suits? Yes. You have suits here for speech-making? Oh, yes, Didi. Just had a shipment returned from the Republican National Committee.
3: <laughs>
10: good. Show me suit that's good for speech-making. Oh, uh, you want something in tail? I'm going to make a speech and not hang it from tree. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, well, will you give me some idea? Do you like this suit I'm wearing? If I take your suit, then you'll have to go home in underwear. No, what I mean is, you like this pattern. It's a herringbone. Herringbone? That's right. This is a fine country where they make suits from herringbones. Must take a lot of little herring. (laughs) I've never counted them. Perhaps you'd like, uh, perhaps you'd like a businessman's suit. You mean he lent me his suit? I like my own place. Well, sir, for what purpose do you want this suit? I have to make a speech at PTA meeting this afternoon. Maybe you like to come. Oh, no, thank you. I couldn't stand the excitement. <laughs> uh, tell me, is it formal or informal? Is inside in school.
3: <laughs> no,
10: no, I, I mean, do you have to dress? I'm only a man there. Of course I got to dress.
3: <laughs>
10: this is PTA meeting, not Turkish fat. <laughs> Well, oh, sir, could you go for this suit? It comes with two pairs of pants. This is no good. Uh,
7: I know, two pairs of pants would make your legs
10: look too lumpy. <laughs> then why you try to sell it to me? Because I'm just a great big sneak. <laughs> oh, this is a nice suit here, the Soprano one. But why is pants so short? Because it's a Boy Scout suit, and you get a knife with it. How many blades? I can't tell you it's a military secret.
3: <laughs>
10: look, please. I like a suit for making speech. You know, for a score and a seven years ago, of course. Well, why didn't you say so? Here's just
9: the suit for you.
10: It's our Gettysburg
9: address model.
10: Is it good enough for Abe Lincoln? Is it good enough for Luigi Pasco? I... take it. <laughs>
9: For the second act of Luigi Vasco's Adventures in Chicago, we turn to page two of his letter to his mother in Italy.
10: So, Mamma Mia, I buy myself suits for PTA meeting. Now, all I have to do is pay 50 cents a week. In one year, I own a coat. In one more year, I also own a pants. Pants is striped. And the coat is empty in the front, but in back it sweeps the floor. Is it called the cutaway? This is what I do when I come home after meeting because it's enough of material and back of coat for extra pair of pants. I also want to bring a present to ladies at the meeting, so I take a new thing called a money order that I get from lady customer and I go to post office to cash it. Excuse me. you're the postmaster?
9: Yes, I'm in charge of this branch.
10: You're just the man I want to see. I just received this paper from a lady.
9: That's a money order.
10: See, fellow who worked for you in gray suit, he tell me if I bring it here, you'll give me ten dollars. Is it this right?
9: Yes, yes. Uh, have you any identification? What do you mean? Well, something to prove you're Luigi Basco. Have you a driver's license?
10: I don't even have a car.
9: Citizenship papers?
10: I know all the answers to questions, but I must wait a couple of years because marriage I... license. I'm a single. If you know a nicer girl. I... Yes,
9: yes, yes. <laughs> How about a birth certificate?
10: is home in the family Bible.
9: Would you bring that?
10: Can't afford to take a trip to Italy just now. <laughs> if I get money order for thousand dollars, then I go and I bring, but for ten dollars it's
9: hmm. Well, uh, you'll have to, uh, you'll have to show me something.
10: What if, uh, if nobody looks, I, I show mark under the ankle.
9: No, 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 that won't do Isn't there some way you can prove that you're Luigi Basco? Mr. Postmaster? every
10: morning when I get up I look in the mirror, there I am
3: <laughs> But
9: Mr. Basco, do It's true... very
10: simple, I prove the whole thing Are you Luigi Basco?
9: Certainly not
10: That the man over there on the line, he Luigi Basco? Probably not And the lady over there? she Luigi Basco? I doubt it Then a left only you and me
9: <laughs>
10: Are you Luigi Basco? No. Then who are you talking to? I don't know. I'm surprised you don't know me, Mr. Postmaster. But why should I know you? Because all the time I'm in this country, this post office handles all the letters I send.
9: Well, I give up. You're Luigi Basco.
10: Sure, I told you that first. You save a lot of time by not arguing with
9: me. <laughs> I'll never do it again. Here's your ten dollars. I'm sorry I ever took a civil service examination.
10: <laughs> don't feel badly. From now on, I buy all the stamps from this post office. Goodbye. (laughs) America, I love you. You like a
3: papa to me. Come on.
10: Hello, Pasquale. What do you want now, Luigi? More favor? This time I do you favor.
7: It's about the time.
10: You do me favor? I do you a favor. Like Uncle Pietro say, if one hand is dirty, wash your both hands. Please don't bring your relations into this conversation.
3: <laughs>
10: I'm a busy. Pasquale, how much you charge you for spaghetti? With or without the meatball? Without. Cost the more without the meatball. <laughs> Sixty-five cents a plate. Not by plate. How much you charge by inch? What are you crazy? I never sell it by inch. Then maybe you sell it by foot. No, no. Smallest I sell is a yard. How much is a yard? For you, ten cents. Then how much I get for ten dollars?
2: I think maybe you get a half a mile.
10: (laughs) Let me see. Is it ten cents a yard? Is it ten yards for one dollar? See? Ten dollars, you get a hundred yards. Okay. Give me a hundred yards spaghetti. What do you mean to give? No money, no spaghetti. Maybe I open a charge account with you. Uh, you give me $10 a box of cash of money, then you open a charge account. All right. Here is a $10. Hey, where you get this? Post office. So when is the post office giving away money? It's a new thing. <laughs> Ladies send me a little piece of paper. I take to the post office. I get the money. So now I buy spaghetti. What are you going to do with all this spaghetti? I bring it to PTA meeting. Oh, you're still going to the meeting, eh? Sure. I buy suit, I prepare a speech, and now I bring the spaghetti.
2: That's a fine,
10: Luigi. Look, here. I give you a couple of hundred of cards for my restaurant, and you give it to all of the ladies. I'm right? a speaker, not a spaghetti salesman. Well, when you speak, talk about this. My speech is about education.
6: <laughs> my spaghetti is very educational, Luigi.
10: But I don't know about spaghetti. I don't even know why they call a spaghetti. Spaghetti. That's a foolish. She's a long like
7: a spaghetti, taste like a spaghetti. That's the way
10: they call it a spaghetti. I don't think I do this, Pasquale. I give you ten yards extra, just in case the
7: spaghetti shrinks.
11: Hey, excuse me, is Mr. Basco in? What's the matter? Jimmy, you don't recognize me. A cutaway
10: that you, Mr. Luigi? Sure. Look like a movie star, huh? Where are you going? To fifty PTA meeting of Jimmy. No. Yes, and I bring them spaghetti and I make a long speech. You and Miss Pauling will be so proud of me, you won't know what to do. Oh, I'm late. Goodbye, Jimmy.
11: I know what I'm going to do. Join the foreign legion. Hello? Miss Pauling, please. It's important. Mama mia. Miss Pauling, this is Jimmy O'Connor. It's worse than I thought. He's all dressed up like a pallbearer, and he's gonna make a speech as full of statistics, and, and he's bringing a pot of spaghetti.
3: (laughs) Miss Balding? Miss Balding! Oh,
11: really, I think this is wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Miss Balding, this is quite an audience. It looks like the finest PTA meeting we've ever had.
12: What was that, Mrs. Pringle? Yes, I said that it looks oh, like Oh, yes, the finest. it does. Good afternoon, Dr. Cartwright.
13: Well, it's nice seeing you again, Mrs. Pringle. I look forward to hearing you speak.
12: Oh, uh, Dr. Cartwright.
13: Yes, Mrs. Wilson? There's a man
12: in a cutaway coat outside with a big pot of spaghetti. Uh,
13: <clears throat> well, it must be a waiter who's made a mistake. Certainly no one here has ordered... Hello! That. You're Dr. Cartwright, the principal, huh? I am, but I didn't order any food. I bring it. This is my present for PTA meeting. Here. Ouch!
10: <laughs> Excuse me. I put it on the table.
3: <laughs>
10: maybe maybe you don't know me. I'm Luigi Bosco. Do you have a child in this school? Sure. My boy Jimmy O'Connor,
13: he's a pupil here. Hmm, so that's why you came? Also because
10: Miss Spalding invited me to make a
13: speech. Miss Spalding did what? Miss Spaulding? Uh,
12: yes, Dr. Cartwright.
13: Did you invite Mr. Basco? Hello, my teacher
10: Miss Spalding. Hello, Mr. Luigi. Miss Spalding, I
13: prepare short speech. Uh, well, Mr. Basco, I'm afraid there won't be any time for your speech. That's all right, I wait. <laughs> the meeting will come to order. Will the ladies please find seats. Yes. <laughs> Mr.
10: Basco, I must ask you to sit down. I promise Pasquale I give out his cards. Is his spaghetti? Mr. Luigi, how could you? Is all the people here live in the same neighborhood. Maybe they give Pasquale a little business. Is something wrong, Miss Spolz? No,
12: no. Everything's just fine. That's
10: the way I feel it, too. I shall turn
13: the chair over to our good friend, your chairman, Mrs. Wilson.
10: If he turn over the chair, she'd fall down.
3: <laughs> good afternoon, ladies.
12: Me, too. <laughs> yes, of
10: course. Uh, now, before we proceed, is there any old business? I have all the business.
3: Uh,
12: Our first speaker is Mrs. Nelson Pringle. She will speak on um, our school system.
11: (laughs) Spaghetti is getting cold. We must have order. A great many of you may not like what I have to say, particularly about this school. As you know, my son is a pupil here, and I must say, from personal observation, I should think that our teachers here must recognize the need for greater discipline. If there is rowdyism, and we know there is, if our children find their excitement in the street, then I think our teachers are at fault. And I propose... Please, i like you to say something. We don't matter uh, all. RG. I had the floor. We must have orders. Mr.
10: Gasco, please
13: go quietly and quickly. First I speak. Then I go. That's the person who brought the
3: spaghetti. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, uh,
10: ladies are right. I bring spaghetti. Is because I think maybe you like. I make a mistake. I don't do this again. Excuse me. But it's not important now anyway is important what the ladies say about teachers. I'm only in this country a little while, and I don't know about schools like a lady. Also, only teacher I know is Miss Folding. And it's not her fault when the kids fight. Maybe it's a parent's fault, not teachers when the kids fight too much. If my Jimmy come home with a black eye, that's my fault. I don't teach Jimmy right, but I try. I tell him this is a wonderful country because all kinds of people here and children of all kinds of people. Little children, they don't know what it means to hate, right? To they learn about this from us, not from a teacher. All little children know is love. So it's up to us all the people to show them. It's like all the same. Apple don't fall far from the tree. We show them at home, we explain, then they know. That's why. If it's bad for children, it's not teachers' fault. It's sometimes parents' fault. Hello, Jimmy.
11: Hello, oh, Miss Luigi. Gee, you didn't stay long.
10: I think maybe too long.
11: Did you make your speech?
10: No. You're a smart boy, Jimmy. You know what was going to happen at the PTA meeting, huh?
11: No, boss, I... Was it really bad?
10: It was worse than that, Jimmy. I make a bigger fool. Hey, Luigi. Hello, Miss Spaulding. I'm sorry. I, I make you so ashamed.
12: Ashamed! You were wonderful. Your speech was inspiring.
10: But I think I look so foolish in this suit. Well, it was a little too formal. Boss, I'm proud of you. I'm glad, Jimmy. And you know something? I was the only mother in a cutaway coach. So dear Mamma Mia, I'm now member Parent Teachers Association. From now on, I go to all of it. Who can tell? Maybe next year I become a president. Then I be first the president of a women's club. Also, Mamma Mia, I sell my cutaway coat to Pasual. He is putting a suit in roses hope chest.
3: <laughs>
10: One more thing. Today I'm sending a letter to men with the problem. How long does it take for Tom and Harry to dig a hole if they dig a hole together? I'm sending this letter to only man who knows the answer, John L. Lewis, your loving son
9: Be sure to listen next week at the same time over most of these stations when Luigi Basco writes another letter to Mama Basco, describing his adventures in America. Life with Luigi is a Cy Howard production and is written by Highcraft and Cy Howard and stars J. Carroll Nash as Luigi Basco with Alan Reed as Pasquale. Music is under the direction of Wilbur Hatch.
1: Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night it's Christopher London followed by The Life of Riley.